Good morning. My name is Tracy Beckwith, and normally on Wednesday mornings, I have the privilege of being downstairs with the Red Robins. And right now, as my heart is beating very fast, I'm kind of wishing I was down there. <laughs> my heart doesn't beat this fast when I'm down, downstairs. But when I began to study these two chapters several weeks ago, I had no idea how the Lord would work in my heart and how he might use me to teach these passages in um, Matthew 21 and 22. And on the first read, um, when I first read it, my mind went in a certain direction. And I began to study. I filled my head with a lot of great knowledge that these passages are filled with. But I couldn't get comfortable with where I was going. But the reality is I was struggling with what the Lord was trying to remind me of and how I was falling short in living in the truth that are in these passages. This study became very personal with for me, and it was then that I realized that was the truth I needed to share with you today. So will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these passages, and thank you for the journey that you have taken me on to get me here today. Lord, I pray that the women here today would see your love, feel your love, and see your power. Pray that um, you would use me to speak today in Christ. Amen. So we open our Bibles in Matthew 21. We begin reading about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this is a passage that has always fascinated me. It is, it's just hard for me to believe that one day people, people could see Jesus, claim him as king, and then just a few days later, y'all crucify him when he was on trial. How could they reject him so quickly and so easily? Before, the, before coming to Jerusalem for this triumphal entry, Jesus had been preaching in the countryside. He had stayed away from the cities once he realized the religious leaders in those cities were, going, were rejecting him. And so the people in the countryside that were coming into the city with him are the ones that had seen his miracles. They had heard his teaching. They had even seen Lazarus raised from the dead. And they were the ones that were entering with him. The people in the city were not familiar. Many of the people in the city were not familiar with who Jesus was and what his ministry was all about. Jesus had gone to great lengths to not call attention to himself in the three years prior to this week. He had even gone so far as after performing miracles as to tell the people, don't go and tell those uh, others who I am. But this week, Jesus planned very carefully. He wanted to draw attention to himself. He was being presented as the chosen one, the Messiah, the Savior. And everything he did about this week was fulfilling prophecy and showing others who he was. One of the Old Testament prophecies that he was fulfilling was um, coming during the Passover, which is why they were coming to Jerusalem. And one of the prophecies was that the Lamb of God would be crucified um, at Passover time. So Jesus was calling attention to himself um, to fulfill prophecy, but also to force the religious leaders to act upon their hatred for him at this time. They knew Jesus. The people coming with him knew him. They had heard his teaching. They had seen his miracles. And upon Christ entering the um, Jerusalem, verse 10 tells us that the entire city was stirred 
Well, if you go back to the original text and you look at the word stirred, it was really a very forceful word, and it meant to be shaken almost as an, to an earthquake. So there was great commotion around Jesus' coming. People could not ignore the fact that something was happening. Christ was clearly drawing attention to himself. So the people in the city that did not know him were forced to ask, Who is this man? Those traveling with him answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Galilee. A prophet? After all they had seen, after all they had witnessed and all the teaching they had heard, they'd even seen Lazarus be raised from the dead, all they claimed him to be was a prophet? Why is that? Well, the people were spiritually blind, and Luke 11.52 tells us that their religious leaders had robbed them of the truth of their word, and they had substituted man-made traditions instead. They were acting under their own power. The leaders were unwilling to accept the truth and place their faith in God. Therefore, they could not understand the truth of who Jesus was. They couldn't accept it. They knew the Old Testament prophecies, but yet they were filled with their own preconceived notions of who and what their king should be. They were looking for a conqueror, not a suffering servant, and who Jesus was was not fitting in with their plan. Jesus was coming to offer salvation to the nation of Israel, but... um, They had rejected him as Messiah, and because they refused to believe in the truth of who he was, they failed to see the prophecy, and they failed to see his sovereignty in the careful way he planned these events. Um, When Scripture tells us that when Jesus approached Jerusalem, Um, Matthew says, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a quote from Zechariah 9.9, which is an Old Testament prophecy. It was widely known by the Jews as a messianic prophecy. Um, But if you look at the original text, and if you go back to the Old Testament and look at Zechariah 9.9, Matthew omitted part of it. In the the Old Testament, it begins, rejoice greatly. But this was omitted because there would be no rejoicing. As a matter of fact, Luke 20, 41 tells us that Jesus wept as he approached Jerusalem. Scripture also tells us that um, Jesus said when he wept that um, he would bring... Um, If you only knew what would bring you peace, but you were not able to see it. So Zechariah also says, Jesus, in the original, that Jesus was righteous in coming, or he was righteous in coming in salvation. This was also admitted. Jesus was presenting himself as king, but was rejected because the Jews' ideas of him were deficient. They were not seeking truth as it was revealed. They were seeking to preserve themselves and their own agenda. And today, ladies, we have a choice to make. We must answer the same question. Who is this Jesus? We must choose and we must decide. Is Jesus who he says he is? And we must choose to accept him as our Savior 
or reject him. This is an individual choice, and we see that in chapter 22 when we read the parable of the wedding feast. The king, who was God, extends invitations over and over and over again to the people, the Israelites, and they rejected the invitation that the king was giving. And so the king passed judgment, and he said, fine, and he sent the servants out into the street, and he said, find whoever you can, good or evil, and bring them in. Well, tradition tells us that in that, um, you had to be properly attired to attend a wedding feast, and the people off the streets wouldn't have had the proper clothing. So the king provided everything they needed, and the, the servants brought them in. And everybody that was willing to come, the servants allowed in. But as the king came through those in attendance, he sees one man who willfully had chosen not to wear what the king had provided. He had thought he could come, and just in what he had to offer on his own, he could be there. But that is not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us we must choose for ourselves to accept the gift that God has given us or deny it. This choice of acceptance or rejection of that gift is a matter of life or death. So once you, my prayer for each of you is that you will choose that gift and that you will make Jesus and allow Jesus to be the Savior of your life. And once you have decided to accept Jesus as your Savior, you still have another choice to make. And that choice is, will you just let Christ be your Savior and leave it there? as the people, when, the, um, when he was coming into the city, left it that he was just a prophet? Or will you allow him to be king of your life? This is where the study became very personal for me. I trusted Christ as my Savior years ago, and I've walked faithfully with him for a long time. I've believed his promises. I've trusted his faithfulness. I've seen his faithfulness. I've trusted his sovereignty. But over the last nine months, through a many series of events, I um, began believing the world's lies instead of my Savior's promises. I got to a place where I was completely consumed with worry and fear. Every night was a sleepless night for weeks on end. And my days, tears were just a normal part of my day. I was not trusting the Lord. I had made the choice at that point to not trust him, to not remember his faithfulness, and to believe the world's lies instead of to believe the truth that I knew to be in this word, in his word. Simply put, I was choosing the lies of the enemy instead of trusting the Lord as my Savior. And, and I was not allowing him to be king. It was a choice that I made. This did not happen in one fell swoop. It was subtle over time, all because I was not choosing to allow the Lord to be king of my life, day in and day out. My life had become very similar to that of the fig tree. On the outside and from afar, things looked great, but on the inside, they were anything but great. I was coming to church. I was coming to Bible study. I was saying all the right things. In my head, I knew the truth. 
but my heart was not there. It was not believing that. Um, I had gotten to where I didn't even want to listen to see what God might be saying to me because I had bought into the greatest lie of all. Maybe God doesn't care about all this that's going on. However, the Lord loves me, thankfully, and in his mercy, he got my attention. He began to cleanse this temple, just like he cleansed the temple with the money changers in, the, um, in Matthew 21. He began to cleanse my heart. And so um, the first thing that happened, I was talking to a close friend in the middle of a real trying time, and I said, you know, I'm supposed to teach in a few weeks on Matthew 21 and 22, and I don't think I can do it. I, I just don't think I can focus on that. And she said, let's talk about that. And as we began to process that decision, I was telling her all the head knowledge I had gained studying these passages. And she said, but Tracy, you're choosing to live what those scriptures are saying. And I thought, oh, yeah, you're right, I am. And we got off the phone, and I, in the stillness of my heart when I was alone, I had to ask myself, am I really? Is that really the choice that I am making? And sadly for me, the answer was not a resounding yes. It looked like I was choosing to love the Lord, and in my head I was, but not in my heart. So um, I went to bed, and I had another sleepless night. But I woke up the next morning knowing I had to do some business with the Lord. And I got my Bible like I had continued to be doing most mornings. And I began, um, I put it in my lap, but I couldn't open it. And this was a very beautiful, sunny morning. I was sitting on my couch looking at my backyard, and the sun was streaming in. And this followed several days of real gloomy, cold weather. And the sun was streaming in. And I just, I knew I needed to do business with the Lord, but I couldn't, I couldn't get there. And so as I looked out into my backyard, into the um, dead grass, right there in the middle of my line of vision, was this one bright red, beautiful cardinal. And when I saw that cardinal, the verse that came to my mind was, my mercies are new every day. And my heart began to soften. And I opened my Bible, and tears began streaming down my face. And when I looked down at my Bible, which was marked to Matthew 21 and 22, the verse that, I, that my eyes focused on would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It didn't say with just your heart. It didn't say with just your soul. It said with everything you have and to love others as you love yourself. And I realized then I had not been loving the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. And because of that, I was not loving the others around me very well either. So at that point, all the head knowledge I had gained from studying these two passages began to penetrate my heart, and my attitude immediately started to change. My heart started to soften, and I began to remember God's faithfulness, and I began to remember his promises. 
I turned to Psalm 136 and read it, and it's here on the screen, but I don't have time to read the whole thing to you, but it goes through all the ways the Lord had been faithful to the Israelites and how his love endured forever. And when I finished reading that psalm in my Bible, I began in my heart saying all the things God had done for me over the last nine months. And do you know when I finished that, that list was longer than all the things that hadn't gone my way, but I had not chosen to dwell on those things. I had chosen to dwell on the things that weren't the way I wanted them. Then I, then I recited Jeremiah 29, 11, and I remembered God's promises. Scripture is full of them. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of my favorites, but Scripture is full of them. I then prayed, and I asked God for his forgiveness. My circumstances have not changed completely, um, but my heart has. Um, is this easy? Absolutely not. Just this morning, as I was preparing to come and teach today, I was tested in this very thing, and I had a choice to make. Was I going to go down the dark path the enemy wanted me to go down this morning, or was I going to choose to trust the Lord with everything I had? And I will tell you, it took everything I had to say, I will trust you, Lord, and I will believe that you are true and that everything in your word is true. And I couldn't have done that with just my heart or just my head. It took everything, and that's the way God wants it to be. So I, um, I've been remembering his faithfulness on a regular basis, and I've chosen, as um, 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us, to, I have chosen to take my thoughts captive of him, to him, so that they can be obedient to what God wants. And when my mind wants to go down some of those dark paths the enemy wants me to go down, I have to stop myself and take those thoughts captive to the Lord. Sometimes this is a daily decision. Sometimes, like today, it is a minute-by-minute -minute decision. But I can tell you that when I choose to do this, and I choose to love the Lord my God with everything I have, there is peace and contentment even when life is hard and circumstances are not great. And I can tell you with full integrity, I have not had a sleepless night since the night before I saw the cardinal. God will give you this peace when you choose to love him. Um, but I had to get to a place where I could re release my preconceived notions of what I wanted and what I thought life should be like right now. I had to get to where I could release my control and my power because everything in me wants to do it my way and wants the outcome to be the way I want it. But I am doing that, and I am telling the Lord that. But I am doing it believing in his plan, believing that his plan is bigger and better than mine. And I am believing that in faith. The Israelites, this was something the Israelites could not do. And because they couldn't, they missed out on the Lord's blessing and his peace. So once we have chosen Christ as our Savior, we must make him king and surrender everything to him and to his authority. This is full devotion. The mission is simple. Love God completely and love others. So how do we do this? 
Um, scripture tells us that we, ha- we have been given everything we need. We just need to accept Christ and then avail ourselves to him and the resources that he has given us. So what has he given us? He has given us the word, and the word is the full revelation of who Christ is. The Pharisees we saw throughout chapters 21 and 22, they wanted more and more evidence. They wanted to challenge Jesus' authority, and they wanted more and more evidence of who he was. We don't need any more evidence. It is all right here in God's word. We just have to have faith to believe what it says. Um, He has also given us prayer. We can go to him. The Psalms are full of times of people thanking him for what he has done, but also crying out to him in their pain and their despair and telling him of the circumstances of their life. That's all okay. He has given us that opportunity. But we do that believing he will listen and that he will answer in his will, in his perfect plan. He has also given us faith. And faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, which is Hebrews 1.1. We must have that faith. Uh, Matthew 21 and 22 speak to this truth. We must have faith to believe in what we can't see. And if we have that faith and we are loving the Lord our God completely with everything we have, Our wills will be aligned with his, and then those mountains will move. Now, they may not crumble the way I want them to crumble, but they will crumble the way God wants them to crumble. And I have to have faith to believe that, and I have to trust in his sovereignty because I can't see his whole plan, but I can trust that his plan is perfect. We also have to have community. We cannot live in isolation. And in hindsight, I realized I, I was living in isolation a lot of the time over the last nine months. Even though I was talking to my friends, I was going to community group, I was sharing what was going on, what was going on deep in my heart, I was choosing to keep deep in my heart because I liked it better that way. I could control it. But as I've told you, there wasn't peace there. Um. The verses I've put up here just speak to the value of each of these things, and I don't have time to read them all, but you can go back and read them on your own. And then I've had to get to a place where I could trust in his promises. The scriptures are full of God's promises. And Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, speak to the certainty of God's promises and why we can trust him and why they are true. And then... It was a great comfort to me to go back and remember God's faithfulness. I had chosen over a long period of time to ignore that, but it was there. Even in the midst of my rebellion, he was faithful to me and he was faithful to my family. I just was choosing not to recognize it. So now when I start down one of those paths and I stop myself, I can remember even today in the midst of what I have faced this morning, I have seen good, and I've seen how even in the midst of this, he is faithful. So always remember his faithfulness. This is a lifelong battle. It is not something that once you conquer it, you've conquered it forever. It is something you have to work at all the time. Um, 
We'll have victory in this at times. We might struggle. Most of us will struggle with this at times. But like Blake said on Sunday, this is so, this is not complicated, but it is so hard. Being victorious in the abundant life is choosing to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Um, and then loving your neighbor as yourself will just be an outflow of that love. So my prayer for each of you and for me is that daily we will choose for the Lord to be our Savior, but we will also allow him to be king of our lives. Thank you.